Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is December 12th. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers Monday Night Meltdown. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the playoff picture, Golden Kegs, the whole thing. We're also going to talk about five things you need to know about the Milwaukee Bucks squeaking out another win. And that will be today's show. I think we'll have enough to get us home. Uh, Before we get going, social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook too. Content has been kind of lacking there, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Partly due to the new day job and just kind of getting into the mix there. I want to produce more stuff uh, for you guys. I just have been slacking a little bit. So that's on me. Uh, We'll get better. Don't worry about it. Uh, And then make sure that you're subscribed to podcasts, Uh, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify. uh, We're also on anywhere else to get your pods. Um, And if you already are, drop this in the group chat. Uh, I I think there'll be a lot of people talking about the Packers. There'll be a lot of people talking about the Bucks. There'll be not a lot of people that are talking about it both that are going to give it to you. No commercials, no, no ads for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. So let's get into it and talk about the Green Bay Packers Monday Night Meltdown. I told you guys all week that I was worried about this game. I said it multiple times. I said it with Mitch. I said it just one-on-one. I said it yesterday that this game scared me because it had everything that you wanted from a hangover, sleepy spot. Green Bay had to fight and claw back to the playoff race by beating the Los Angeles Chargers, who have, I think, it were about them because Justin Herbert's a franchise quarterback, even though I know they haven't been good this year, but you get my point. Then you beat the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving in front of a national audience. Another national audience is watching you against the Kansas City Chiefs. And all you have to do is go into cold Met life and beat third stringer Tommy DeVito, a.k.a. Tommy Cutlets, and deliver the punch to the New York Giants. And you don't. And you don't because you're sloppy really the entire game. Green Bay didn't look like they wanted to be here. We've seen this before for Matt LaFleur teams, just a lackadaisical effort in all phases of the football game. I think what's troubling against a team like the Giants is you see a team that's better coached overall than the Green Bay Packers. Even though the Giants are a worse football team, they are better coached. And that was apparent uh, in this football game. And it was really disappointing. Uh, The Green Bay Packers had every opportunity to win this football game. This is not a game that the Green Bay Packers, you know, were lucky to be winning at one point in the fourth quarter. They had every opportunity to, to be the victors and us talking about a four straight win, us starting to get kind of excited about a Super Bowl win. But instead, Green Bay played down to their opponent like they have all season. And that's infuriating. That's stuff that just drives you wild. And ah. Uh, it's, it's really hard to come away from this and not be disappointed. And not be disappointed when you were one of four in the red zone. I think you were two, and f- two for f- five, two for four. Whatever it is, you had multiple red zone opportunities missed. Yet again, another game where if Daniel or, uh, Andrews Carlson makes a field goal, the Packers win the game, which I think has happened now three times this, no, twice this year. He didn't miss one in Minnesota, but it ended up being irrelevant because Packers lost by two scores. But still, like, it's just... It's always this woulda, coulda, shoulda bullshit. And it's so frustrating as a fan. 
And I understand that this is part of having a young team, that this is part of a young football team. And even though they have grown up, there is still that youthfulness in them. Pro teams talk about how they don't let down, that letdowns do not exist in pro sports. I've listened to enough PMT interviews where they basically say, yeah, those letdowns do not happen. Those don't exist. But when you have a young team that's close to like a college team, Andrew Brandt uh, on Axe calls it the best U23 team, speaking about the Green Bay Packers, they're basically a college team. They're like a high-functioning, top-tier college team. And I'm not meaning that disrespectfully. I'm just talking about the age of all the individuals that are on that roster. And if you know anything about college football, they let down a lot, especially when they win games that they're not supposed to. That next week is usually an absolute death sentence for them. Think about Louisville this year, right? Louisville beats Notre Dame. It's this awesome win. Everybody rushes the uh, field. You have Jack Harlow, Donovan Mitchell on the field, all this other shit. Jeff Brom gives this passionate speech on ABC. Next week, what do they do? They lose to lowly Pittsburgh, who only won three games all season. And that's basically what you have with the Green Bay Packers. And they let down. They, they tried to avoid the hangover, but it just wasn't happening. Jordan Love could not throw in Windy Mint Life, which is a slight concern, if I'm being honest. Uh, and the Packers just looked out of sorts the entire fucking game. And they weren't able to rein it in. They weren't able to turn it around. They just played sort of disorganized the entire game. And it looked like a team who read their headlines all fucking week, who spent time in Times Square uh, the day before the game. Look, I'm not, look, you gotta stretch your legs. You gotta get out of your hotel. But still, I I just feel like this is on Matt LaFleur. And Matt LaFleur is not the best at, at avoiding letdowns. He seems to step on this rake at least once a year, and he does not have his guys ready. He gives an inch and the team takes a mile. And so whatever the focus and preparation was for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Detroit Lions, it was not fucking there against the New York Giants. And so you now have to pick up the pieces. We all have to take a step back. We all were excited. We all were fired up. People put in their bets for Packers to win the Super Bowl or the Packers to win the NFC. But now we have to take one giant step back. And we have to realize, oh yeah, this is a young team. This is a team that can beat anybody because they're pretty damn talented, but they're also a team that can lose to anybody. Like, would anyone be surprised if they lost to Carolina in two weeks? That game, I've said, fuck, for I don't know how long, scares the living shit out of me, just like this Giants game. It has all the makings of an exact same thing. And until I can be proved otherwise, I believe that it will happen again. So I need to see improvement for Green Bay against Carolina. I think that is a very critical game in terms of what are you as a football team. And if Green Bay can come in there and beat the Panthers and basically send a message to say, shut the fuck up, Charlie. And we actually learned from our mistakes. We learned our lesson. And we're not going to let what happened in New York happen again here. I will offer a Mia Copa. But that right now is not the case.
So I look at this all and believe that the Packers can still be okay. And that's, I, I think think that's the the thing you gotta like once you wake up right like I I know Patrick Mahomes regrets what he said about the refs I guarantee fucking T does it's like the classic like wow that was a bit of an overreaction like I'm sure we've all had it when we're out with our friends and we maybe get a little fired up about it and we yell and we say something we don't mean and then you wake up in the next morning and you're like what the fuck did I just do like I feel like that's how Patrick Mahomes feels and I think a lot of you who are listening to this, if you're driving in your car or you're at your office or you're, you know, whatever, walking the dog, uh, I think you all will, will have the feeling of, okay, but we're still in the playoffs. We're the seventh seed. We have, we have a lot of controlling of destinies. I really like Bill Huber, but from what I see, Packers are not on thin ice. His article said, oh, they're on thin ice for the playoffs. They're fucking not, honestly. Um, they they have a they do have a path, okay? Like they can lose another game, weirdly enough, and still probably find their way into the playoffs. This is not the AFC. If it was the AFC, I would agree a hundred percent with Bill because the way I projected out of the playoffs, which is going to come later in the show, there's a ten win team in the AFC that doesn't make the playoffs, and an eight and nine team makes the playoffs in the NFC. It is what we talked about at the start of this year where I said the AFC is going to be the Western Conference of the NBA of the two middle mid-2000s and the, and the NFC is going to be the Eastern Conference. It's exactly playing out that way. And so the Packers are still right in the mix. The world is not ending. This is not a death sentence for them. There is no way that the Giants are going to sneak up and make the playoffs. I realize that now they're five and eight. They've built some momentum here, but they have to play the Eagles twice in the last three weeks of the season. The biggest winners, honestly, from this game, are, I think are Fox. Because Fox has Eagles-Giants as a standalone game on Christmas. That game looked like an absolute disaster, you know, early on this year. And now with the veto coming on strong and all the Italian story angles, they'll do a bunch of seven fishes stuff. Like that, it'll be perfect. Like they have their, you know, again, the NFL wins again. They always do. They always, they always find a way. Kevin Clark had a great tweet about the Tommy DeVito stuff, which like, it's going to be a movie. Um, it's, it kind of drive, drove me crazy today. Like I took, texted one of my group chats. And I'm like, I'm going to be so sick of that Tommy DeVito shit. If we start slow and sure enough, we started slow. And, but like, it is, it is a Hollywood story. It is, it, someone's making the rights. It's gonna, it's definitely, definitely on its way. But to get, bring us back to the coulda, woulda, shoulda Packers. I tell you guys all the time that I, I think there are themes within a season and you identify those themes because you watch your teams every week, every day, and you start to just see the theme. And the theme that has developed for the Packers is coulda, woulda, shoulda. And that they are just one or two games or one or two moments away from two or three more wins. And it's haunting. It's scary to think about. Because you look at that Atlanta game, they, they could have won that game. You look at the Denver game, they could have won that game. You look at tonight's game, they could have won that game. Those were all within Pittsburgh game. You, you could have won that game. There were four games right there 
that were all in range. Even if you go two and two, and he lost all of them. Even if you go two and two in those, all right? Like, yeah, there are going to be one-score losses that you lose. But if you're two and two right now, the Green Bay Packers are, I believe, tied for the division lead, if not leading the division. That's how close Green Bay is from being at that level. And maybe they're just a young team and we have to accept that. We have to accept that they're going to be really high highs and really low lows because that's what this season has been all about. Moving on to Golden Kegs. We do this every week after the Packers. So if you're new here, uh, we have Golden Kegs, which are five kegs being the best, one keg being the worst. I have a lot of one kegs for this game. Uh, and I really don't have a lot of five and four kegs, or three for that matter. I, it's, it's not a pretty day. I'm not very happy, shall we say. Uh, five kegs to Malik Heath's redemption. He only had one catch for six yards, but it was a touchdown. Uh, you thought Malik Heath had had the touchdown uh, before that, and the ball got knocked out very late. I I don't know if it's the right call. It was so fucking close. I think everybody would have lost their minds had they called that a catch. So then Heath getting the ball right back in a ball-don't-lie situation and scoring the touchdown was great. Uh, was an awesome thing to see. I really like Malik Heath. I have Malik Heath stock. I think he's going to be a solid player for the Green Bay Packers. And he might get more opportunities uh, with the Dontravian Wicks injury. Uh, Joe and Troy is another five keg for me. Uh, I don't know there. I know there are people who do not like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but not having Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on Friday on Fox, Big Fox, is still the worst. Like I like Kevin Burkhart. I like Greg Olson. I like the Kevin Burkhart tagline. Like he's got it. Like that's like and like good for Kevin Burkhart. Like he has sort of a tagline, and I, I think like. That's how you become a synonymous broadcaster. Like you have sort of things that people think about. Lowe Nelly for Keith Jackson, for example, right? Uh, I like Burke. I actually like Burkhardt a little better than Olsen. Because Olsen sometimes like, it's clear he has friends on certain teams. Like when he's he's calling the, the 49ers game, he can't get off Kittle's cock. And I like, I like Greg Kittle, or George Kittle, excuse me, not part of my take. But seriously, so... I miss Joe and Troy. I know people are like, Troy hates the Cow- Troy hates Packers. Yes, sometimes I get that vibe. I-, I think that he just isn't, he doesn't know Jordan Love. Like, I think he knew Rodgers. And I think when he knew Rodgers, like he would be, oh yeah, Rodgers this, Rodgers that. And I, I just enjoy Joe and, Tro- Joe and Troy. It's It was part of sort of the fabric of watching Packers football for a very long time. I would say those two are probably the most synonymous with Packer football when it comes from a broadcast national broadcast perspective. I think it's them. I think it's Al and Chris. And then probably, I would say Tariko and, and Collinsworth. And then, because Al Michaels also had a few games where he didn't go to Lambeau. And then probably Jim and Tony, uh, which would make sense, right? CBS broadcast. Pa- Packers Bucks on CBS, which is weird on uh, on Sunday, by the way. Uh, also, four kegs, Tucker Craft. Uh, Tucker Craft continues to impress. He had four catches, 62 yards, one of them being a massive catch for 43 yards that put the Packers in a really solid position to go down and, and, and get a chance to win this game. Now, they ended, I think they made a, that was a field goal where they hit the field goal after that. I couldn't remember if that was when Carlson missed it or not. But Matt LaFleur calls Tucker Craft the most improved player for the Green Bay Packers offensively. And this is not a surprise. Uh, I've been telling you guys this really from this get-go, that 
The FCS to NFL transition as a tight end is very difficult. Dallas Goddard said as much. I was like, well, I'll trust Dallas Goddard because it's literally the same team. And you're seeing it on full display here. And I think another like wait till next year sort of thing is Kraft and Musgrave together now are going to be absolutely lethal. Green Bay can run a lot of 12 personnel and just kill you over the middle with your two tight ends. And I'm sure LaFleur cannot wait to get both those guys on the field. And lacerated kidneys are not, not ideal. I have no idea if we're going to see Musgrave after four weeks, if we're going to see him, you know, not until like the playoffs, but I, I'm very giddy to watch Musgrave and Kraft together. I, I really hope that we get to this season because uh, it would be a shame if that has to wait till next year, but it might, it might have to. I mean, again, a lacerated kidney is a big deal. Musgrave is a, is a tough son of a bitch. So who knows? Maybe he will, but Tucker Kraft has been great. And I think, Again, this is a, it's a really positive sign for Green Bay, you know, from their draft with Reed, with Musgrave, with Kraft. They, Van Ness even too, like they, they've seemingly kind of nailed this draft and that's, that's massive. And that's huge for Green Bay going forward. Number th- uh, three kegs to Jaden Reed. Uh, Jaden Reed, we had such an interesting game because not Jaden Reed's fault that Matt LaFleur, you know, had him carry the ball four times. He broke one for 20. That was a touchdown. Uh, he also had eight catches total because of all the pop passes uh, for 27 yards. Uh, I don't necessarily know what the strategy was. And we'll 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 put LaFleur's, we'll do a one keg of LaFleur's jet sweeps to kind of talk about them both here. Like, I think the plan was if I had to think of why Matt LaFleur did this and when I when I'm mad at somebody even like my wife or my buddies or you know even my dog honestly I try to think well why why are they upset or why are they mad at me and I try to look at their perspective so when I'm mad about something sports wise I try to get into their own heads like okay why are they doing this why are they running all this horizontal bullshit I think what Matt LaFleur expected was that they were gonna blitz a ton that they were just going to absolutely bring the house at all times and that they were going to overcommit and you're going to have a read on the outside and he was going to be free. And then that first play, you did. But then the rest of the way, it really wasn't working. And he kept going to it. He didn't change anything about it. I could see a situation where you're like, all right, we want to shake it up a little bit. Why don't we run like a quick hitch? Or why don't we run a wide receiver screen? Bubble screens don't really work in in uh, NFL, but who knows? Maybe you try a bubble screen. Maybe you try a middle screen. Maybe, you know, you try just a quick slant. Like, if you wanted to use Jaden Reed's quickness against the blitz, you could have done it in a lot of different ways. So again, this isn't really on Jaden Reed. I mean, he, he played an all right game. He missed the ball that I think if he tracks, he catches it for a touchdown. Instead, Green Bay had to settle for a field goal. That was a, a big moment in this game, uh, but overall it was a, a fine game for him. And, you know, he was one of the guys I would say that seemed the most competent out there that didn't necessarily get bogged down by the quote unquote hangover, maybe just the one where he, he couldn't find the ball. But yeah, I, I give Jaden Reed a three keg for that. Two kegs, Jordan Love, uh, man. So rough Jordan Love start. This is not one for the books. I kind of mentioned it earlier, but Jordan Love and the wind did not look good 
Um, I don't know if that's just the stadium. I don't know if that's just who Jordan Love is. Um, it's concerning because guess what? You have a lot of wind at Lambeau Field in the wintertime. So I, I really hope that this is just a stadium thing and not a Jordan Love thing. I'm not trying to overreact about it because if Jordan Love can't play in the wind, that's a really big fucking problem. But I'm just going to hope that it's, again, a MetLife thing. Uh, but yeah, Love was not impressive in this game. He had... 218 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He also fumbled the ball. He had a quarterback rating of 76.7. Really rough stuff for him. He did, you know, a couple of those throws down down the field to Kraft, you know, the Heath touchdown, even that Dobbs throw, the Dobbs, did he catch that or drop? Oh yeah, he, he, he had a foot in. Like there were some really nice throws down the stretch for Jordan Love, but it was just a little too late. And he finally kind of got settled in way too late in this football game. And it, it, that's just too bad. And it, you just wonder, you know, if Love would have been a little more composed, you know, what does this this look like? Um, and then it, two kegs also to injuries because I think Love really missed Christian Watson. I think for all the shit that we have given Christian Watson, and Mitch said last week, I'm not apologizing to Christian Watson and all this other stuff. Christian Watson is a game breaker and Christian Watson keeps teams honest. And so because you don't have Christian Watson available to run go routes or to spread the field, even just as a decoy, that makes it harder on everybody else. And I do blame LaFleur a little bit for not scheming it up and not saying, okay, well, we don't have Christian Watson. What are we going to do? And maybe that was the Jaden Reed stuff. But again, you needed to pivot off of it. So hopefully Christian Watson can come back for that Tampa game. I personally think they were holding guys out because of the turf. And you can call me tinfoil hat, whatever. I think that they didn't want Aaron Jones and his knee on the turf. I don't think they wanted Watson's hamstring on the turf. I think Jair is a different story. But again, another guy who was missed, you had Keyshawn Nixon get absolutely smoked uh, down the stretch. I don't know if that would have been Jair's guy. But still, like you just you can't have that. And there were moments where, yeah, Jair would have been nice, nice to have out there. Uh, but and the same goes with Aaron Jones. Although AJ didn't really get the ball, so I don't know how Aaron Jones would have either. But yeah, it, it was tough. And then you lose Don Travian Wicks to an ankle injury. Uh, that's that's really tough. And he's been really good for this team. And it seems like it's going to be a high ankle sprain. He told a reporter that it's really fucked up. Uh, and that it could be, which sounds, I mean, if it's a high ankle sprain, he's probably out for three or four weeks. Uh, that's, that's not an injury you want as a wide receiver. And that's going to put the Packers kind of behind the eight ball, especially if you don't have Watson again next week. Uh, if you don't have Watson again next week, oof, that, that can make things really, really challenging for the Packers. If you don't have Wicks or you don't have uh, Watson. That would that'd be very tough. So hopefully uh, you get Watson, you get Jones, you get Jair back. Uh, that would be very helpful to what the Packers are doing. One keg, we already went over to jet sweeps and Matt LaFleur, but yeah, interventions needed. Uh, obviously there were so many Soprano memes this, this uh, yesterday with the Tommy DeVito stuff. We need like a Christopher Malasante intervention from Alaflar on jet sweeps and that's and we just need to say like I saw your head in the toilet like I've said my piece Chrissy like that's what we need I said my piece Maddie and we need to talk about his jet sweeps 
Uh, Keyshawn Nixon, another one keg. Uh, Nixon was flat out terrible tonight. He said he played like shit. I, I would have done the uh, Will Hardy from the Jazz. I don't know if you guys saw this. Oh, last week, last week, I think it was Thursday night. Was like, I don't know. It was uh, was it Friday? It was either Friday or Wednesday. And he goes that, way, and they lost by fifty. And he goes that was a masterclass in dog shit. That was Keyshawn Nixon tonight. Keyshawn Nixon had a critical fumble that if he just lays on the fucking football, if he just lays there. The Packers have the ball. They're up 10 to 7. And yeah, you're you're in a pretty good spot. You're in a pretty good spot at 10 to 7. And who knows from there. And the Giants got one of their touchdowns off that Keyshawn Nixon turnover. And that was the touchdown. That was the difference. Now you could also point out Carl's missed field goal, whatever. But Keyshawn Nixon has to be better. And for Rich Passaccia to be making as much fucking money as he is, he's the highest paid special teams coach. And to have guys continually fuck up like this is absolutely inexcusable. And I like Pitt Boss Rich. I think LaFleur likes Rich Passaccia. But again, LaFleur has not made good decisions with their coaching hires. They just have not been good time and again. And I really do think there needs to be a long conversation with LaFleur about the guys he has from a coaching staff perspective. And speaking of which, Joe Barry. Hey, Joe Barry, remember? This guy fucking sucks. Like, we all know it. And he kind of got by and was like, well, maybe Joe Barry's good. Maybe Joe Barry's all right. And there were people that were talking about it all week that said, hey, look, even though the Packers scoring defense is good, there's a lot of warning signs advanced metrics-wise. And sometimes NFL advanced metrics can be a little bit too much but sometimes they tell the truth. And they sure did with the, with the Green Bay Packer defense. They go for over 200 yards rushing the Giants. The Giants had their, mo- their biggest offensive output since week two. Brian Dable absolutely ate Barry's lunch in London last year. He eats it again tonight. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how long you can go. He's gonna keep his job. He's gonna be here till the end of the year, but this has to go on the why we fire Joe Barry. I just, I do think the Packer fans would have a mutiny if Joe Barry came back next year. Um, Keyshawn Nixon, we mentioned. Uh, Zach Tom was also, I thought, pretty poor tonight. Uh, probably the worst Zach Tom game I've seen in a while. Kathan Thibodeau absolutely owned his ass. And I think Tom has issues when, you know, there are bigger, you know, edge rushers. Thibodeau is like 6'6". Uh, Tom's a little undersized. He had a lot of problems with Thibodeau in that game. Uh, and Tom just needs to be better. Uh, he's kind of the anchor of this defense, this offensive line at this point, uh, along with him and Elton Jenkins, and he just needs to be a little bit better. Rashawn Gary, complete silence from Rashawn Gary. The Packers having no sacks. You could really give it to Packer front seven, Packer pass rush. As good as they were against the Chiefs and the Lions, they get zero pass rush against one of the worst offensive line, the worst offensive line in football. How the fuck that happens, I, I just don't know. Uh, oh, I also, I forgot this one before we finish up with a couple goofy ones. Another five keg is the Miami Dolphins. Shout out to them for losing to the Titans because guess what? All the heat's off the Packers. Everyone's going to talk about the Dolphins tomorrow. No one's going to want to talk about the little Packers. Uh, it's great. Um, they'll talk about DeVito. They'll get all excited. I mean, this DeVito thing's going to go like into another stratosphere this, this week. Just you watch. It's going to get even crazier. Um, you'll probably have the movie rights. His agent 
looking like an old school mobster, mobster was just, I mean, it's all incredible, man. Uh, anyways, so shout out to Dolphins. Thank you for getting the heat off us. Other one keg to Miller Lite. Uh, I hate to say that. You guys know I love a great tasting, less filling, uh, especially when I'm watching football. And they used to be the good luck charm for me in the Rogers days. Uh, they're not anymore. Uh, I cracked open a couple of Miller Lights early, uh, mostly because, you know, I don't want to be pounding craft beers for an entire game on a Monday night. And it did not work out. And Miller, I was drinking Miller Lights earlier in the season, and I, I, for a while, didn't have domestics in my house, which is rare, but I didn't have any, so I started drinking 1840s. And that was, I think it was the Rams game, where I, I had the 1840 comeback, then it was against the Chargers. I had some 1840. I didn't drink anything. You know, for Thanksgiving, I was somewhere else. Then went back to the 1840 well against the Chiefs. And and I and I also had 1840. Yeah, so the fact that I strayed and then went back to it late, I, you know, you couldn't put the toothpaste back in the tube. That's on me. That I, I thought that maybe this Miller Lite thing was just you know, it was a mirage. No, it's they're cursed this year. So the, the lights are cursed, which is bad for my waistline, for just overall vibes. Uh, I do, I think they are still live in the stadium because I did have Miller lights when we, when the Packers were able to beat the New Orleans Saints and going up for the, the Bears game. So I, I think Miller lights are still on the table at the stadium um, and before the game in Lambeau. But other than that, I think that's the only place we can have Miller Lights uh, when it comes to Packers. Lastly is the ESPN split screen. Uh, I knew ESPN was doing this. I read an article about basically ESPN with the two broadcasts were doing one big A-B a test and basically seeing like what games people want to watch, where they'll be, you know, and then they did the split screen stuff like it was red zone. No one wants that. No one, no one's a fan of that. And I, I think you just needed to do that on an alternate channel. I think that needed to be something for Peyton and Eli to kind of work through. I realize they struggle with that sort of stuff, but I, I think you would have something like that or you'd have something other than the Manning cast uh, and basically doing both and kind of Scott Hansen in it the entire game and kind of having that quad box or the double box the entire football game. I think that to me, be the better way. Um, I didn't like it. I don't think any Packer fan or Giants fan or Titans fan or Dolphins fan really, really enjoyed it. But yeah, those are the golden kegs for week number 14. Before we go on, before we go on to the Milwaukee Bucks, I wanted to talk about the playoff hunt. Um, I ran the playoff pool. Uh, I will tell you the Packers are still in the playoffs. I will also tell you there is a path to Packers still winning the NFC North. Um, the Lions are going to need to lose to the Vikings on the road and to the Cowboys on the road and then either lose to the Broncos or the Vikings at home for that division to become a reality. But the Packers do have the tiebreaker if they were to finish 10-7, and seven, which is what I have Green Bay finishing off at. I have it as of today. The San Francisco 49ers as your number one overall seed the Philadelphia Eagles uh, sliding in there at number two against the Minnesota Vikings, uh, who slided in at eight and nine. Uh, which I, I'm telling you, if it, there there's a world in my world, I have two eight and nine playoff teams in the NFC and a ten loss team not making it. Uh, then you have Lions, Packers, and then you have Bucks, Cowboys. 
The winner of Lions-Packers would go on to likely play the Eagles, but there's obviously an outside opportunity that the Packers could end up playing the 49ers if they were to advance in that hypothetical. Uh, in As for the, which I guess to take a step back before we talk about the AFC quickly, I look at that and I, I think that's pretty realistic. I think it's crazy that there'd be three NFC North teams, but I, I certainly could see it. Um, I, I don't see a way that Seattle is able to kind of get off the mat, right? I mean, Seattle will be the one team They've been frisky enough. They've hung around, but is Geno Smith going to be ready to play the Eagles? And that's such a fascinating game next week on Monday night because you have an Eagles team that's kind of in must-win territory, but you also have a Seahawks team that also is in must-win territory. So it's like this ultimate kitchen sink game between the two teams. And it's the Eagles playing second straight road game, which it, it, it that's a lot of travel for Philly. You're going from Dallas, then you're coming home, then you're going to Seattle. Like that's, that is a taxing sort of trip that Philly has on deck. So maybe there's a little bit of a rest advantage uh, for the, the Seahawks, but we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, I, I think that's gonna be a really good game on Monday night uh, to definitely keep an eye on. And yeah, now it's, we're in full like, viewer guide sort of season the rest of the way. Uh, as for the AFC, this might this is going to surprise you. This is wild. I have the Chiefs as the number one overall seed. You're like, the Chiefs? Like, look, I, Nick Wright talked about it on, uh, on X, and Nick Wright is as big of a Chiefs homer as there's going to be, but he's right. The Chiefs have a path to the one seed. It's crazy. I have the Ravens and Broncos, old school. Like, that's like a throwback. Uh, the Jacoby Jones game and Joe Flacco still still quarterbacking in the league and I have Joe Flacco in the playoffs uh, Jacksonville Houston uh, I think that would be your uh, honorary 330 game like that definitely is the Peacock game right like I think the 330 games at Peacock oh no I think the seven o'clock games at Peacock which is wild that so I think maybe that's your Peacock game like I, I have to think a bad football game is, is getting streamed on Saturday night which Mitch I this is like a very inside joke between Mitch and I, but Mitch give, always gives me a hard time. Like, oh, you thought Saturday night was like high prominence. And, and I've, I've dropped my guns on that. I'm like, no, it's it's not anymore. You're, you were right. I'm wrong. And then Miami Cleveland would be the last one. Um, Browns, Browns Dolphins, that, again, weird matchups. I don't know. that be a weird AFC. Um, and yes, I, that means the Bills are out. Uh, there is a world where the Buffalo Bills could be leading the division and if they don't beat Miami on week 18, the Bills are out of the playoffs altogether, which is wild. And it's in Miami. And I don't know, so I didn't do it. I guess we could. I think I have it up still. So if, if Buffalo wins that last game, do they kick Miami out of the playoffs? No. So if the Buffalo Bills were able to win, they get the division, they play Cleveland. That's a fun like Lake Erie rivalry. But then the Dolphins go all the way down to the sixth seed they play Jacksonville. Houston gets knocked down to the seven, and they play the Baltimore Ravens. It, Miami's schedule down the stretch is not easy. The door is slightly ajar here now for the Bills with their stunning loss to Tennessee. Like that, I mean, that is just an absolute crusher uh, for them, especially up up fourteen with like three minutes left. The first, Tennessee was the first team in like the last seven hundred games to come back and beat. The Miami beat a team. That's I mean, it's just out of this, out of this universe. And again, I appreciate the Dolphins for keeping the heat off of us. 
So that's what I got. Uh, we'll see kind of how everything shakes out. Uh, certainly a lot of teams that you now have to root for if you're the Green Bay Packers. Wrapping up today's show with the Milwaukee Bucks, who also played tonight, who nearly you know pulled off the the double and had both teams lose in very disappointing fashion. The Bucks tried their hardest to lose to the Chicago Bulls yet again, uh, who they lost to earlier this month. Uh, they started out good. It looked like the Bucks were on easy street. You're like, okay, they're kind of sending a message to everybody. They're up by nine at halftime. They've, I think they had 78 points. And then they came out so fucking slow in the third quarter. They let the Bulls sort of hang back in. Kobe White has now become a Bucks killer. Congratulations to Kobe White. Uh, we will serve you beverages the next time you're around. Uh, but like, it, it was so maddening and the Bucs couldn't get out of their own way. They find a way to scrap and claw and win this game in overtime against the Bulls, which is the last thing the Bucs probably wanted with four games and six nights is to play an overtime game against Chicago. But a win is a win. You get it done. You're now 16-7 and seven on the season. Uh, but, man, you really had to fucking grind for it. And I just would like to put a team away. Like, I, that's all I want is just, can you actually pull a team away one time this season? Uh, it, it was just very upsetting. And I felt like the door was open for, you know, to kick the bull's ass. But I will say to Chicago's credit, without Levine, they've played a lot more inspired basketball, which is something we mentioned yesterday. And it was on full display. And they, they just don't go away. They're a very pesky team. Uh, and you saw that on Monday night. As for five things you need to know, yes, we're not doing superlatives. I scrapped that. I, I'm just, you know, not that creative. As much as I want to think of myself as a creative, I'm not. But anyways, another story for another time. Uh, number one, what, what is it about the Bulls and Bucks where it's always so close? That's not necessarily a thing to know. It's more a question. Uh, I guess the, the answer would be Bulls, Bucks. It's always close. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Uh, these two teams, man, I, I don't know if it's the Bucks playing down to their opponent or if it's the Bulls wanting to get up for the Bucks, or it's the, you know, f basically the Fibs coming in from uh, the South to watch the Bucks game at the Fiserv. I have no idea, but the Bulls play their asses off against the Milwaukee Bucks and it's always a fight. It's a good thing that they don't see each other until March now. You know, it's three straight games of very intense basketball between these two teams. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit that Chicago doesn't want to look, be looked at as a little brother. And I think that they sort of take on a disrespected angle towards the Milwaukee Bucks. And I, I think that, that is, that's part of why the, we see these games so tight. I think they want to beat the Bucks more than they want to beat other teams. Uh, number two... Giannis Antetokounmpo came on strong in the second half and over time for that matter. Giannis, I believe, only had seven at the break and he finished the game with 32 points. He also had 12 rebounds, six assists. He only had two turnovers. He made, it was 32 on 13 shots. He got to the line 18 times and only missed four, by the way, which I feel like is significant as well. Uh, Antetokounmpo was really good in that second half. Uh, really took control really sort of established himself after you know the bench being the kind of the key cogs early on and Giannis then picks up the pace in the second half 
or picks up the scraps, not necessarily the pace, but picks up the scraps in the second half and really sort of gets the Bucks to that overtime period, but then also helps them pull away in overtime. So awesome stuff from Antetokounmpo. Again, he's having an MVP season. No one's going to pay attention. No one's going to care. But Giannis has continually been great. And I think the fact that you know he has a game where he's 14 of 18 from the line is a big development. And again, it's kind of what we talked about also yesterday with Marquette, where it's like, all right, can we see this in more games? Now he's, what was he, 11 of 13 against the Indiana game too? So let's look, let's look. Maybe maybe there is more to this. We can go on an investigation as we like to do when we are, are doing Bucks coverage. So in December, Giannis from the free throw line is shooting 70%. That is a 5% increase from what he was shooting in the month of November. In the last two games, Giannis is what is that 25 for 31 from the free throw line. That's pretty damn good. He was four for nine from the line against the Knicks. Um, so that was a that was a blip. But other than that, he's been pretty solid, man. He's also getting to the line nine times, a little less actually than what he did in in November, but potentially a small sample size. The last like woeful Giannis free throw game, which one? Probably Orlando, where it was five for twelve. That's the last one that that really sticks out. But it's it's been good, man. And uh, I, I really, I really think that you know onto the Kumbo. It, hopefully that continues. And hopefully that's not the only time that we see see the strong free throws. But yeah, the second half was was great for onto the Kumbo, and he played really well. AJ Green provided a much needed spark off the bench in the first half. Uh, he, I think he did make a couple buckets in the second, but AJ Green with 12 points overall, four of six from. The from beyond the arc, um, almost all of his shots were. He's also got he pulled down five rebounds, had uh, three assists as well. So good stuff from AJ Green, and I think he's getting more comfortable. Uh, you know, playing playing the game. Like for a while, it seemed like AJ Green was kind of like, "What the what the fuck am I doing out here? Why am I why am I out here? Why am I playing? You know, for this team?" But I think he's kind of gotten. He's kind of got comfortable. He's kind of starting to feel himself a little bit. And I think that's a really good thing for him going forward. And I talk about Craig Council all the time. And I know, you know, he's persona non grata. But he did a really good job of throwing guys in the fire and kind of getting a look. And the fact that he, you know, gives a look to A.J. Green and gives A.J. Green an opportunity to play a little more in terms of minutes because it's not the NCAA tournament. And they want to kind of get their guys, you know, rested. You get really good minutes from him. And I don't think there's no reason why AJ Green can't get 14 minutes against Indiana, 14 minutes against Detroit, 14 minutes against Houston. Like this is a good sort of stretch of games to really see if you have something with AJ Green because you're not necessarily playing the best of the best. Uh, you do have Orlando on deck, I think the following Friday, I want to say, uh, or Thursday. Uh, but like that's probably your biggest game, you know, the next two weeks. But you you can kind of get a real idea of okay, is this guy a guy you can count on, or is it just a guy that hey maybe we need a microwave, couple three pointers. Remember, Toronto, you know, really had that, and I know it's a white guy white guy comparison, but it's, sometimes it works uh, with Matt Thomas. Remember Matt Thomas? You know, remember how much he tormented the Bucks? Uh, he was just absolutely on fire every time he faced the box. He was a 
lacrosse native. I don't know where he, where he's playing right now. Yeah, on Alaska, Wisconsin. He's currently playing for Alba Berlin. Uh, got traded this year. Was with a Greek team, and now he's with Alba Berlin. But he had a run with the Raptors where he was just fucking on fire every time he faced the Bucks. And I don't know, maybe that's that's AJ Green. Maybe that's something you can get from AJ Green. It's it is a very like stereotypical comparison. Make it's like the Wes Welker types in football, but I'm sorry. It just sometimes sometimes it fits. Sometimes you're the streaky white guy shooter. I don't know what to tell you. That's just how it how it goes, right? Uh number four, the curious case of Dame Lillard. So we did the curious case of Jair Alexander yesterday, and man. Dame Lillard, another kind of rough performance for him. Uh, 3 of 17 from the field. 2 of 9 from 3. 14 points overall. 9 assists uh, for Lillard. He also missed a free throw late. That would have put the Bucks up 4. That opened the door for the Chicago Bulls to force overtime. I don't know what's going on with Dame. I, I'm trying really hard not to overreact. Was it he spent the entire weekend in Vegas? Is he just an absolute party animal lush because he's a single divorced dad? We talked about turning down that divorce energy down a little bit. Is it that he's quiet quitting and doesn't want to be here? I hope that's not the case. Uh, but like, ah. like, when do you push the damn panic button? Like when, when is that panic button being pushed? Maybe we need to do a round of Wisconsin sports panic button with Mitch tomorrow. That's, that sounds like maybe a plan. I was kind of thinking of like an overreaction thing. So maybe we transition it into the Wisconsin support, Wisconsin sports panic. But like, I would say that I am like, I don't have it fully pushed, but my hand is like, it's hovering. I'm for it for Dame because I don't know what's going on. And I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if, again, it's what we just talked about with the nightclub stuff and he just needs to rein it in. And Adrian Griffin's not doing a good enough job in terms of policing his players. Uh, but yeah, it's not good uh, so far. And we'll see if Dame, you know, kind of picks it up and kind of rebounds uh, because, you know, it's classic box, man. Hey, can't have anything nice. Lastly, uh, at this moment, so with the team they have right now, you cannot have a lineup that doesn't have Giannis and Dame on the court at the same time. Uh, one of them has to be there. You cannot have Chris Middleton being the only guy out there. Chris Middleton had a good game. Like... I, if we were doing Golden Kings, he have like a three keg because he had 13, 13, and five. Like, he had a really nice stat line. But he also had four turnovers. He got his pick, pickpocketed by Andre Drummond, like, which never should happen if you're Chris Middleton. But Chris Middleton cannot be your primary ball handler anymore. He just is a little too slow. You're going to have to at least have Giannis or Dame out there. There's no way you can have Chris Middleton being the only guy. Now, when Pat Connaughton comes back, when Jay Crowder comes back, you know, maybe you can blend it in where it makes it a little easier on Middleton. But right now, the Middleton-Portis campaign lineup, like, oh, God. Like, I don't want to see that ever again. Uh, and I, I thought that kind of contributed to things staying close in the fourth quarter early on. So we'll have to see. I, I will not be giving you any Bucks indiana thoughts. Uh, Shake Ken and I will do that on Friday show because I'm gonna take off Thursday. So uh, sorry for that, but yeah, we'll we will certainly reconvene uh, and get ready for the weekend and then recap their third matchup with Indiana. Shannon and I also have some disagreements on if Indiana's a bad matchup for the Bucks. So I think we'll I'm sure we'll get into that um, on Friday show. 
All right, this is my last solo show for the week, which is crazy, uh, which sometimes I like, uh, especially after last week where I did, what, four solo shows. Uh, to do only two this week is kind of nice. Um, I will be back with Mitch tomorrow uh, and then taking off for Thursday and then Friday, Shay Ken and I getting you guys ready for the Wisconsin Sports Weekend, uh, getting you guys ready for the Christmas crawl that he's participating in. Uh, in terms of DJing, we'll tell you where he's at, where you can go visit him. Uh, maybe see me. Uh, I would say that it's probably more of an, I'm going to be on the night shift than the day shift, but we'll, him and I, I'm sure, will suss that out uh, on the show. All right. Take care, guys. Appreciate you. And I know it's we don't get a victory Tuesday. It's going to be usually when the Packers lose, it's a shitty day at the office, and it's a Tuesday, which are usually typically shitty. So let's let's hope. Let's hope. Let's let's pray for good vibes and that it is not the case for that. And we'll see see you guys tomorrow with Mitch for Tabby the Keg 532. Peace.